Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast, a podcast where we help you take your ideas from a dream to reality. Each episode will cover topics to help you overcome frustrations we all encounter in our maker community. I'm Trevor Wanamaker, a part-time maker running MakerExperiment.com, and my co-host Stephen Ellis is a part-time woodworker running Old South Woodcraft. We have both encountered bumps and pitfalls along the road we call making, and we are using this podcast to help you avoid the same pitfalls. Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast for episode four, where we are going to talk about getting into CNC with, I think, one of the more influential people in the space from a hobby perspective, and that is Zach Kaplan, the CEO of Inventables. So unfortunately, in this episode, Stephen, I know you're not going to be able to record with us uh, because you'll be at work. So what are you looking forward to in this? Well, I think what I'm most looking forward to is, you know, is how how you can integrate CNC into a hobby wood shop or, a, you know, a hobby metal shop even. Um, because I know they, you know, they now put out specialty bits for doing certain kinds of metals, aluminum, brass, things of that nature. You know, how does a, how does a hobby person that doesn't have the background in CNC, you know, get into doing CNC work. I mean, most people that I see that have them or, you know, have used them for YouTube, you know, content creation are people that have lasers, they have 3D printers, they have all this other stuff. They're makers on a large scale that have a pretty significant background in CNC based, you know, items. So I just want to know for me as the as the layman, you know, the person that's not really spending that much time with a computer doing CNC work, how do I get into it? You know, do I, you know, do I invest all that money up front or, or do I try to find a makerspace? You know, and, and why is a makerspace good for this particular type of machine? So I just want to really know what, you know, Zach is, Zach has to say because, I mean, he's kind of the expert here. Or, you know, not kind of the expert, he is the expert. He's the CEO of a company that their two main products are, are hobby style CNCs, so... So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Zach. Welcome. This morning I'm joined with Zach Kaplan, the CEO of Inventables. How are you doing today, Zach? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. How's your commute this morning? <laughs> <laughs> A little slower than normal. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. So my background is in mechanical engineering. Um, I'm the, the founder of the company. I got started doing 3D carving and stuff actually in high school, um, which influenced my decision to go to school for mechanical engineering. And then um, I've always been excited about product development and creating new, new, to, new to the world type stuff. So what made you comfortable taking that leap to start a company? I actually asked my parents if I could drop out of high school. Oh man! <laughs> to start to start a company, and uh, they asked me, well, "What kind of company?" And I said, "I don't know." And they said, "Well, why don't you go back to high school?" <laughs> Good parenting, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So did you have any mentors on this journey to start Inventables? A ton, a ton. They had um, this thing at University of Illinois where they would bring in entrepreneurs who would speak to like either after class or during classes. And I uh, went to every single one of those. Even if the person had come to campus before, I would still go back again. And I would ask anybody who would answer my questions. That's a great way to do it. So how did the whole Inventables thing start? How, like, what's its purpose and everything? Yeah, so we, um, we started trying to help companies innovate. And if you think about uh, back in like 2002, product development was mostly done in big companies. And so we started out working with companies like Nike and Black and & Decker and uh, Procter and & Gamble and it, within their, their R&D and industrial design groups. And then in, in 2009, 2010 timeframe, a lot of things started changing in the world of product development. There was the first million dollar Kickstarter, which was done by uh, one of our customers, actually. He was, his name is Scott Wilson, and he ran the Nike Timing and Tech Lab. He had left Nike. And he did a Kickstarter for the first Apple Watch. It was just, he just designed the band and he used the iPod Nano for the watch face. So that happened and Etsy started really getting traction. Amazon had launched uh, Fulfillment by Amazon 06. And that started getting traction. Shopify started to become uh, an interesting tool for people. And all of a sudden, all these things were happening where these software platforms had made it possible for one to two person companies to bring products to market in a really meaningful way. And I started to look at that and think, man, if we're working with all these big Fortune 500 companies on product development, we're going to miss the next wave of product development and innovation. And so at that time, I decided to change our business model from uh, sort of like a, a consulting subscription service to essentially an e-commerce store where we were selling information to product developers and we gave away all the information for free and we started selling materials. And that really uh, launched us onto this next phase of inventables that you know today. And then in 2012, we launched the first uh, machine. In 2014, we launched Easel, our software. And I guess you could say the rest is history. Wow. Yeah, I never knew that much of the book the background that you guys had. Yeah. So you guys do have the X-Carve and you have the Carvey. Are you guys working on anything else that's new and new and exciting? Or are we allowed to know uh, that? <laughs> I, I can't confirm or deny if you have anything in the, in the pipeline there. <laughs> Pleading the fifth? <laughs> yeah. Now, we're always working on new stuff. Some stuff takes longer than others. So which one's more popular, the X-Carve or the Carvey? Um, they're really for different audiences. So... The, the Carvey is really designed for schools and libraries, and it has been extremely popular for that community. Um, we actually just sold uh, 44 to a uh, school system. Yeah, it was a big order. Um, businesses. Well, XCarve, we're seeing a lot of success with small businesses where uh, people are just getting started. Maybe they're one, two, three, four, five person businesses, and they're the X-Card was typically their first um, digital machine. They have a lot of hand tools, but it makes them profitable. It makes it so they can really earn a little bit more, get a little bit more scale, earn a little bit more money um, for the products that they're selling. So that's been really exciting. Nice. So 
you guys obviously make the machines, but do you ever make projects for yourselves inside the inside the company? Do people want to just hang out all day and make stuff? Yeah. So we actually give everybody a budget. Oh wow! Um, in the whole company, everybody gets twelve hundred bucks, and uh, it's it's designed for you to go exploring and make stuff. So you can you can buy materials and bits from Inventables, but you can also go out and buy them from our competitors and see what that experience is like. So we actually encourage people to. Uh, expand beyond just the inventables materials and, and bits and machines with that money. Um, but people build all sorts of stuff, uh, ranging from guitars to signs to toys. We actually, uh, last uh, Christmas time, we made a bunch of toys for the children's uh, hospital here and uh, donated them. That was a pretty cool project. Um, That's great to get back. We actually, uh, inside of our office, we've got a maker lab that all the employees have access to, um, to make whatever they want. I think that's every employee's dream. <laughs> it's, fun, it's a fun, it's a fun perk. So you have, I know you guys have the forum where a lot of people talk about the machines and help each other, but why don't you tell us a little bit about the tribe you guys have behind you, the followers that, you know have been loyal to the company or following the company and have been using your machines. Yeah. It's, it's been a humbling experience. There's <laughs> tens of thousands of, uh, people that are using the machines and helping each other. And, um, one of the things that we try to encourage is for customers to help other customers. Um, because our, our customers are one to two person shops. They're not fortune 500 companies typically. So they don't have the resources of, Fortune 500 companies, they, they get them through their networks. And it's not just help um, with the machine, but they also get business help through their networks. They, they pretty much get everything through the networks because they're typically smaller, smaller companies. And so that's been one of the cool things that you see, not just on our site, but all over the internet. You see it on Facebook, um, you see it on Reddit, you see it pretty much everywhere. It's pretty cool. And you have people that actually kind of look through the forums too, right? Yeah, and we're actually working on building up that capability. Um, both internally, we're recruiting someone full-time who's going to be dedicated to that right now, our customer service uh, team and a few of the, the senior managers are on there. But we're, we're recruiting somebody to be full-time, and then also we're working, we're, we're, we're going to get a group of the community, people from the community, um, to be moderators. That's pretty awesome. You talked a little bit about the software that you guys use, and it's Easel. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Easel specifically and kind of how it integrates with the machine and how you even came up with it? Yeah. So prior to Easel, like the standard approach to doing this kind of stuff was CAD, CAM, and machine control. So you need three pieces of software, the CAD software to do the design part, the CAM software to create your tool paths. Um, CAM stands for computer manufacturing. And then the machine controller so you load your G-code up in the machine controller and then move the machine around and everything like that. So I got my first exposure to that three-step process in high school. Um, and I remember vividly in high school being frustrated because, you know, you want to change one thing, you got to redo the tool pass. It's like a whole process. I've, I've been there. I've done that. You've been there. Anybody who's into this stuff has been there. It's, it's, it can be frustrating. I just wanted it to be easy, like PowerPoint, you know, click, click, click. Okay, you're done. <laughs> And so that was the vision beside behind easel was, Hey, can we make it so you can get carving within five minutes? Um, and you know, when we first started talking about it, it was met with some laughs and, 
I don't know, that's not how this works, and is it going to be dumped down and back and forth? But um, so we launched Easel actually at South by Southwest in 2014 um, to an audience of about a thousand people, and uh, we actually got the mayor of Chicago to get up on stage and do a carve. Nice. Which is kind of cool. Uh, he only had nine fingers because he lost one in a accident when he was a kid, so he claimed that he was the safety mayor doing the carving. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no, but it was it was fun. And uh, each year we've had about the the usage is just about doubled. So this year we're going to get about two million carves that go through Easel, and we're seeing an increasing number of uh, people who are using it. In their business, and last year we launched Easel Pro, which is designed for the business user, and we're really trying to support people who are trying to make money. And the the kind of money they're trying to make has ranged from just enough money to support their hobby, maybe a couple thousand dollars, to uh, part-time employment where they have a full-time job and this is kind of like a side hustle to really supplement their income in a meaningful way. And then we have a growing number of people who, this is their full-time job, and all they're doing is making money either doing custom projects for folks, kind of like a contractor or a tradesperson, or they're making and selling their own uh, products. And that, it's been really exciting to see that transition. You know, most people don't start there where they're doing it full-time, um, but more and more, I think it's we're almost to 10% of our customers have more than one machine now. Because they're having so much success, they need more uh, more throughput, and so they're they're getting a second one. So that, that's it's been a pretty cool journey because Easel has really made it possible for new people to get uh, get involved and, and, and start making money this way, as opposed to the traditional approach to how machining is done. And that's amazing that there's that many people able to make it their full time because I know at least in the maker community that's like everybody's dream is to make it their full time so they can you know stop working the normal nine to five and do what they love and what they enjoy yeah so we see a lot of the people who are making more money or are making money enough to do it full time they didn't come at it from a maker perspective right they mm -hmm. had an angle or a, an insight on a particular market or a particular need. And they really understood that first. And the X-Carve and Easel become sort of a tool to them to deliver on that need. That makes sense. Yeah. With Easel, I'm sure yeah. there's a ramp up um, as far as learning it, learning how it works. What kind of tutorials do you have out there? I personally have not used Easel, so I'm not totally sure, but I've used normal 3D CAD yeah. So how does it, you know, compare and how, or what resources are out there for people? Because I know a lot of people want to get into it, but they're, they're hesitant because it's daunting. They're kind of scared. They don't know how it works. Yeah. So th there's a couple different levels that uh, people can do. First is like, you can just, it's free. You can just go on easel.com, create an account for free and start playing with it. Um, it isn't really that so uh, complicated that you couldn't figure it out yourself if you're familiar with the computer. And the first time you log in, there's actually a little tutorial that will walk you through a test card. Um, but in addition to that, you can go and we have um, 
inventables.com slash classes. So there's this thing called Ease Alive, and I think there's like a dozen classes up there now where there's an introduction to Easel in four minutes. It's like a YouTube video. There's uh, all sorts of different classes. There's classes on bits. There's classes on making projects. And so you can watch those um, if, you're not the, if you're the kind of person who wants to be uh, take a step-by-step through it as opposed to just play with it by yourself. And then also you can, you can ask a lot of questions uh, on the, the forum. There is a very, very active community and Lots of people on there love to help people. And one of the cool parts about Easel is you can actually share your files. So you can go to file menu, click share, and you can make it public and you can share the link out there. So if you're doing something and you're asking, hey, how do I do this? You can share the file, then other people can see what you're doing and give you feedback. And that's, that's been a pretty cool thing to see the community really embrace. That, that's great news because sometimes it's hard to get people to help each other if they're quote-unquote, in competitive kind of fields. So it's nice to see that you have that community that's willing to help each other and not, you know, trying to push each other down. Yeah, I think that there's so much business out there um, to be had that in, in all these markets are, are pretty, like there's so many of them and they're pretty niche. So even if you're making signs, you're probably not competing with another person on the forum too much, maybe a little bit, but... There's so many signs made in the United States, <laughs> right? There's so many guitars. Like our customers are such a small percentage of all consumer products. And typically, you know, a lot of the, the products they're doing are custom for someone. So they, they tend to might have a relationship with that person or a local small business that they're working with. Okay. So we, we see a lot of collaboration, a lot of help. So do you guys still interact with the big companies you used to work with? Like, do they have your machines now in their prototyping labs, or is it mostly just consumer-driven now? It's mostly uh, small businesses, but um, Black & Decker was one of our big customers back in the day, and we're now using the DeWalt 611 on the X-Carve. And uh, the folks at Black & Decker actually just made a pretty cool makerspace up in uh, Townsend, Maryland, just a suburb outside of Baltimore where they're, where they're based. And they invited me to give a talk there. And I got to reconnect with one of our old customers who's now running that innovation group. And they got an X-Carve in the lab. So that was like everything working full circle right there. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's good to, to keep connected. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> so I think one of the, the biggest questions people are going to have from a machine standpoint are the cost and the maintenance and the consumables that go with that. So I, I personally do more laser work and eventually want to get into CNC, but I know there's, you know, the cost of routing bits for the machine and the different sizes, the different types and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. So you can give us a little bit of information about kind of the initial cost. So you're going to have that upfront cost and then you're yeah. also going to have the long term that's more the maintenance and consumable side. And can yeah. you give a little bit of insight into that? Yeah, so the average X-Carve, I think, is about 1600 bucks that people are buying today. Okay. Um, and we actually offer monthly payment plans, so you can take, uh, you can go on the site and it'll tell you, like, how much that is per month. I think it's, like, 130 bucks a month for the average one. And then, yeah, so for each carve that you do, you're going to need a bit and you're going to need um, some material. So, obviously, the material is only last as long as the material lasts, but the, the bits tend to 
be specific to different types of materials. So you got your wood bits, you got your different size bits. You could kind of think about it like pencils and markers, right? If you were uh, drawing, some pencils are going to be like super sharp and do small detail stuff. Um, then you got your sharpie markers, which are a little bit more macro. And then you got like the big chunky markers, right? So with bits, same thing. You've got like the V bits, which come to a point. You've got 32nd inch bits, eighth inch bits, quarter inch bits, half inch bits. And you're really picking the bit based on the type of material and the geometry of the design that you're trying to carve out. And the bits range from a couple of bucks all the way up to you can get bits that are 50 or 100 bucks. Really depends on what you're doing. If you're just starting out, I encourage you to get the inexpensive bits. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, you know, you, you can break bits and that way you, you have less fear about taking risks or just trying different things or using the wrong bit on the material or just accidentally breaking the bit yourself by doing something stupid. You know, if the bits are a couple bucks, it's not a big deal. But then once you sort of get the hang of it, start to understand what your applications are, and then you can start moving up to more expensive bits. The more expensive bits are typically designed for people doing production. And, you know, they, they can last longer and uh, be, be tuned or really designed to be give better cuts for a longer period of time. Um, in terms of how long they last, <laughs> for people just getting started, I say they essentially last until you break them. Um, but I was talking to one of our customers who makes a, uh, iPhone cases with the machine. And he said he, he's milling the phone cases out of, uh, like a, a block. And I think he said he gets like eight to 10 cases out of one machine, out of one bit. And then, uh, Ben Uita, who made that shoe store, he did, uh, all the, the shelving and yeah, I watched uh, that fixtures. Video. Did you watch that? Yeah, I did. So I think he says for that. He was running two machines eight hours a day for like 10 days or something like that. And he used about 300 bucks in bits for that whole, for all the plywood in that whole store. That's still not bad considering he built a display for an entire store. Yeah. And he was, <laughs> I think he was pushing them pretty hard too. He was pushing them hard, yeah. But you, you, both those guys said that towards the end of a bit's life, you start to see that it's getting dull and the, the cuts will not be as sharp and crisp as they are when you first get started. And I know another thing people are going to be, I guess, kind of daunted by with the, <clears throat> the bits specifically yeah. is how do I figure out what I need? And, you know, I've dealt with it enough and other stuff that I've kind of figured that out. But how do you suggest? So, you know, if you were to have your mother try to get into this, knowing nothing about you know, CNC whatsoever, how would you suggest starting with the bits, kind of what to look for? Or is there kind of a tool that says, you know, this is what I want to make, this is the material, and it gives suggestions? Yeah, so that, that's actually something we're working on uh, pretty hard with Inventables. Um, we've color-coded all the bits. So if you go in easel in the drop-down menu, you can see all the different, there, there's like a little plastic ring that we put on all the bits. I think I've seen that now. And so... What you can do is you can select the color of the bit you have in the menu, and then you select the material that you have in the other menu. So let's just say you pick walnut and the blue bit. Easel will automatically calculate the speeds and feeds for you. So you don't have to do that math. You can't, you can't do it if you want. We have, uh, we give you the recommended and then you can customize it. So there's a formula where you can try to figure out what it is. But if it's your first couple times and you're not ready to break out the, 
the math, then it'll automatically calculate the right thing and you can just click carve. And we also have this thing called feed rate override. So if once it's going, you want it to go a little faster, a little slower, you can hit the plus or the minus and it'll make it go faster and slower in real time. Um, but what we're trying to do is add the number of bits that are part of that program and add the number of materials. And then over time, as we collect more data, improve the, uh, the default values and um, just make it easier and easier for people to get started. That makes it a lot less daunting. <laughs> yeah. One of the, the things associated with this is what is going to be the largest cost? Is it going to be the machine or is it going to be the long term? Which, I mean, let's face it, it's probably the long term of the bits or the materials. But what do you find people are usually putting the most money into? Yeah, I think it depends where you are in your journey, right? So if you're just getting started, it's going to be the machine for sure. Just because you, it'd be hard to spend that much in uh, bits and materials. But if you're like Ben, where you're doing that shoe store, I think, I can't remember the exact number, but I think he spent about $3,000 in wood for that store, which is obviously an X car. If an X car was 1600 and you spent $3,000 in wood, like that's a lot of wood. However, he got paid, right? So to him, he actually made a profit on that project. And so the fact that he bought more wood than the cost of the machine is not a big deal. That's also true. <laughs> Perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you, so that's why we introduced the financing, right? Is because we're trying to make it so people can get started without outlaying their own cash and really pay for everything out of the cash they're making um, rather than their own pocket. And so most people can sell at least 130 bucks worth of stuff even in the first month um, if you're trying. And so say somebody doesn't have the money for a machine uh, yeah. or is thinking about getting into it but isn't sure yeah and i know there's makerspaces around that have uh the machines so for those that can't afford it or are hesitant about it do you have like a resource of places that have your machines in makerspaces where they can go join and check them out or places they can go and check them out yeah so if you go to inventables.com slash 50 states there's a map and there's about 1400 locations across the country now. So you can start just by going to easel for free, create your account and do a design, mess around, watch some videos. And then you can go find one of those locations near you that has it open to the public. The different pins are different colors represent different things. So there's libraries, there's maker spaces, and then there's even schools. Um, so it might be at your school or your kid's school. And you can, you can see if you, you would qualify to get to one of those publicly available machines. And for those schools, so say there's schools out there that may be listening. Yeah. If they're interested in trying to somehow be a part of that program, do you have a program for schools specifically? They can just email us. And if they're, if they don't see their pin on the map, um, they can email help at inevitables.com and we'll add them. Okay. Um, a lot of it with schools tends to be the parents. Like the schools are always trying to recruit parents to get involved in this kind of stuff. That makes sense. Whether it's, yeah, like first robotics is a big one where they're, uh, they're always looking for mentors and coaches, um, to help with the teams. And the, the teachers are always looking for parents who can help like their most excited kids take it to the next level. So that, that's been like really cool to see. 
I was actually just at a school a couple weeks ago in LA and, or like in a, in a suburb of LA and they were there working during the summer. Dedication. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, they're excited, right? So it wasn't like a whole classroom of kids. It was a handful of kids, but you know, they're still there during the summer. So it shows the excitement. Yeah. And I think being able to, you know, have the resources to create whatever you want is basically a kid's dream. At least it would have yeah. been my dream as a kid. Yeah, and so when I was in school, you had to use the software in the classroom, but today, like, Easel's on every, it's, it's browser-based, so you can do it at home, you can do it at the library, you can do it at school, it doesn't really matter. And so it, it, it's how far does the kid want to take it. And you, you said it's browser-based. Does that mean that in the event that, you know, you don't have access to Wi-Fi, but you are able to work because you have downtime, is it possible? Yeah. So if you have a computer that where you were able to load it up at one point um, and they get disconnected from the internet, it still works. As long as it's loaded in browser, you can still design. What you can't do disconnect from the internet is save. Okay. Because it's, it's kind of like Google Docs where it's saving it in the cloud. But you can also carve. So if, if Easel's up and you're disconnected from the internet, that's okay. You can carve because the carving happens over the USB cord, not over the Wi-Fi. I know when they first came out, the uh, the assembly was kind of daunting. Yeah. And I know you guys have improved that dramatically. Yeah, yeah. Is that still a focus? Kind of that uh, more, you know, streamlined assembly approach? Yeah, with every generation, we streamline it more and more and more. Yeah, and that's great. So I know that they're getting faster and easier to put together. Yeah. And, you know, in the future, do you see it as being... Uh, things that are able to go together within, you know, an hour and be done. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the goal. With this, a lot of people, like you said before, are using this to either make a self-funding hobby or transition from a hobby to a part-time side hustle uh, or even go completely full-time. So... I know we're both trying to do this as well, and we have a ton of friends that are trying to go full-time or at least make extra money. Yeah. Do you find that that's, you know, over 90% of your customer base, or is it kind of 50-50? What, what do you see that as? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely growing. It's the fastest-growing part of our customer base, but um, we're definitely over half, but probably not to 90% yet. Because we still do have a lot of schools and libraries buying, and obviously they're not yeah, starting yeah. businesses. But um, it's definitely the majority of our customers are have commercial intent, where they're in your spot or going full time. If you're if you're not running it, if you're, and also we're we're starting to get lots of customers who already have a business, so they're buying the machine with the business already running, and it's just helping them. But if you're starting from scratch and you're not um, earning any income. I would say it's good to sort of build it up. You know, don't rely on this as your full-time thing because a big part of it is the selling part is almost more than the manufacturing or carving part. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so when we see people who are successful, like they've nailed that selling part um, really well and they're tuning it. And then... They they uh, dig into the, the making part, and so 
I'd say that that would be a good reason to go part-time first before going full-time is like, so you can really nail down how you're going to sell whatever it is you're selling, whether it's a service, like you're doing some carpentry or contracting or custom shelving or custom furniture, or if you're going to do a product, you know, figure out what sites you're going to sell it on, who the, who it's targeted towards, what the marketing message is, all of those types of things. Um, cause you know, you, you, you make the thing and it doesn't sell itself. <laughs> That's true. You need to and figure so, out what people want, not what you want to make and sell. Exactly. Right. I, I think that's a good distinction between like the hobby and the business, right? Is the hobby like in its purest senses, you're just making whatever you want and the business you're making something that people want to buy. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes there's overlap, right? Cause there's people who are like you, but it, it's definitely a balance. So what advice would you give aside of the, you know, starting part-time before you go full-time, but what advice would you give uh, people that are looking into making their hobby into a business? Yeah. So I would think about looking at where there are opportunities to sell what you love doing. And I would think, Think about also like what part of it is it that you love the most, right? Because if the part of your hobby that you like is the actual carving, then, and, and then you're like, oh, I want to make money, but you don't really want to do all the selling stuff, then maybe find a partner, right? So we're, we see a lot of husband and wife teams where one person is more focused on like the sales and marketing and uh, distribution type stuff and like product design kind of type stuff. And the other person is more focused on like the fabrication and manufacturing and all the, the more hands-on type things. And we've seen those, those teams have been very successful, right? Because you don't have to have all the skill sets in one person. You can kind of divide and conquer and maybe everybody does a little bit of everything, but at least you've got someone who is in charge of and thinking about uh, half the things. And I think that's, that's an important point too, is you, Frankly, time-wise, you don't have the time to do it all, even if you could do it all. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is uh, start giving stuff away for free. We've, we've seen a lot of people where that's kind of how it starts. They make something that they love, they start giving away for free, and then they start getting requests for orders. That's funny, because we talked about that, I think it was either last week or a week ago. Okay. Uh, Steven and I were talking about how we've both given things away for free and that's what kind of catapulted people into even looking at what we were doing. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty exciting. And then you, wait, it's when you get that first response, somebody's like, hey, can you make one for me? And you're like, sure. And you're also right, kind of like, are you, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and there's that, that first moment where... Uh, like, okay, so you've given away for free and you're like, well, that'll be $8 or whatever it is, mm -hmm. 30 bucks, 50 bucks, hundred bucks. And you're like waiting, are they going to, are they going to pay that? And they come back to like, yeah, no problem. You're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I've also found that besides just giving it away, somebody will be yeah. like, Hey, can you make this? I'll be like, yeah, I can make that. And then they say, how much will it be? And I'll be like, well, this is probably how long it'll take. What do you think it'll be worth? Cause I don't know what to charge cause it's something completely right. new. Yeah. And I know that this is going to be probably the number one question you get yeah. is going to be the, you know, 
there's all these people out there making things and you have influencers out there and social media and whatnot. So what does Inventables look for in social media influencers to be able to, you know, work with Xcarve and go on that journey and be able to post things out there on whether it's Facebook or Instagram uh, and the other different kinds of outlets? Yeah, so we have a wide range of influencers, um, and the criteria overall that we're looking for is we're looking for folks at different points in that uh, journey, right? So we don't want to have all experts, mm -hmm. and we don't want to also have all beginners. So we're looking for like a group of folks that sort of represent all different levels of the journey, because people are at all different levels. We do like ones that have some sort of commercial intent on their own. Uh, obviously, it doesn't have to be a full-time thing, but at least some aspect of their um, channel does have some a business component because we, we are trying to help people really start and run these businesses. And we'd like to have a diverse, a diverse group of people, right? So not all guys, not all girls, not all young, not all old, because it's really people of all ages, all different kinds of backgrounds, technical backgrounds, non-technical backgrounds, that are getting into this. And so um, we just want to make it sure that people can find someone that resonates with them. And with that, I know a lot of people on social media, you know, are, are of the mindset that, oh, I have to have 15,000 followers to even have somebody look at me for being an influencer. Is that still kind of the case? Or are you, with the effect that you're doing, you know, beginner kind of intermediate and advanced do you kind of look for as well people of all different follower counts we do um i think 10 i think ten thousand might be the i i, I don't know the exact number but 10 to fifteen thousand is definitely like at the lower end yeah of the range um and it goes probably all the way up to millions what i would say is the best for us at the end of the day like we're looking to sell machines and we actually do have an affiliate program where um you can get a link and uh, if somebody clicks the link then and creates an easel account, then if they buy a machine at a later date, you earn uh, your affiliate fee. There, it's not like last click attribution like Amazon where they have to click it and then buy. That makes sense. Ours is a more considered purchase. So they can, they can buy today, they can buy tomorrow, they can buy next month, they can buy next year, and you'll still get the revenue. And so we're definitely looking to grow with people as their channels get bigger. But what we found is it's not always the people with millions of followers that have the most revenue. Um, a lot of times as people get more and more followers, the audience starts to get more general. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the smaller channels have a more focused niche audience where they're actually really interested in our products because they're watching to try to learn about it. And so, um, yeah, I would just, yeah, caution people to say, like, you know, when, once you're at millions of followers, it becomes more like a TV show almost. Yeah. Or it's more like entertainment, which is totally cool, but less relevant to um, an advertiser like us. Exactly. So what is one piece of actionable advice coming out of this that you can give listeners to help them make progress towards running their own business or going part-time uh, with a side hustle? I would say first, just get started. 
the hard stuff part, away. Right? <laughs> yeah, so for, you know, you just got to do it. I actually, I went to the doctor and they said, hey, you need to start exercising because I, I don't really exercise. I come to work, sit down, come home, eat, go to sleep, whatever. Maybe I'm carving a little bit, but I, I just haven't been exercising. And the first thing I did when I left the doctor's office was I, I went online and I bought an exercise bike just because like, I was like, just got to do it. Just get, <laughs> just take a step. Um, so I would say, yeah, first just, just start doing it. If you don't have the machine, that's fine. Load up easel, start designing something. Um, second would be, yeah, start giving stuff away. Um, start talking about it with other people and see if there's a place where you, you get some reaction. And when you start giving stuff away, then, you know, you'll, you'll get a reaction if you, if you have something that hits, um, and you'll see, and then I'd say give different stuff away, you know, don't keep giving the same thing away because you'll probably get the same answer. But if you give 10 different kinds of things away, you might get 10 different answers. You'll get that data and then, you know, try it, try selling something. Sometimes, uh, you know, just, just try to sell something, even if you don't have it, it's okay. Cause you can go make it. Right. Think of it as like a custom piece. Um, hey, I can make you a sign and then go figure out how to do it. And then you've got that motivation because you sold it to figure it out quickly. So if somebody say designs something in easel yeah. and they're having trouble finding a maker space with a machine or somewhere to have it made, is yeah. there, do you have a suggestion for them? Yeah. So, right. So you can go on inventables.com slash 50 states and you can try to find one. Let's just say you're in an area where there's not one near you or it's too far of a drive or whatever. Um, you know, you could also go on. So let's just say you sold it. You could go on to the forum and say, Hey, I'm just getting started. I designed this thing in easel. I sold it to someone. Could I pay someone on here to make it for me and ship it? And I wouldn't be shocked if someone said, sure, I'll do it for X dollars. You might want to check how much they're going to charge you before you sell it. Yeah. So you could at least mark it up a little bit, but it's definitely a path that you could take as you're learning all the different aspects. So you don't even need to involve yourself with a machine until you figure out where your income stream is going to come. I think that's a, that's a cool idea. Well, this has been very informative and a, an absolute pleasure to be able to have you on here. And we just want to thank you again for taking time on your busy schedule. I know you're a, you're a busy guy. So we appreciate your time. Cool. Thanks for having me. It was fun. So enjoy the rest of your day. All right. See ya. <laughs> Bye. It was great talking with Zach this morning. Steven, I know you couldn't be there, uh, but we're trying to wrap up, you know, later the same day. So what were your big takeaways from the interview with Zach? I mean, I got a lot of things out of hearing the interview between you and Zach. Like I said, I really wished I could have been there because I, I, I would have really liked to talk to Zach in person. He seems very very laid back, very easy to talk to. Um, well, what, well, if you didn't have to work, I mean, who does that? Well, that's kind of what I was getting to. <laughs> Zach, Zach is like the highest level of maker because he is now an entrepreneur that, Owen, that owns a huge business. I mean... Anybody can call themselves a CEO of a one-man, two-man company, but I have a feeling Inventables has more than two people that work there. So he's like the highest level of maker. Definitely. He definitely is. And it was 
super laid back. He's super easy to talk to and really down to earth. And that's perfect. That's that's what I want to to talk to somebody about. You know, if if I'm going to talk to a maker, I don't want somebody that's way up in the clouds talking about stuff that I have no idea what's going on. I want somebody to talk to me face to face and have that real honest interaction. And uh, Zach is definitely one of those people. So, what were your key takeaways from what he said today? I mean, I had some I had some big ones. Uh, one of the one of the major ones though was uh, was Easel. The fact that they have their own specific software for the X-Carve and the carving, which to me is wonderful. You know, if, if, I, if I ever got an X-Carve or carving, I can go straight to their website, use Easel. If I have any questions, I can, you know, I can interact with somebody that made the stuff. It's not like having a question with Fusion or SketchUp or something like that, even though now a lot of people have gotten into SketchUp, so there's a lot of quote-unquote SketchUp experts. I'd rather talk you know, face-to-face over, you know, like a Google Hangouts with somebody that either, you know, manages the software or, hell, came up with the software. So that, to me, is a huge takeaway right there. That would definitely push me in a direction to go with an inventable CNC over another CNC company. And I think a major point you just hit on was he is the, the CEO of Inventables. And prior to this interview, you know, neither you nor I had any contact with Zach, uh, never met him in person. And all we did was send an email to their press email and said, look, we're trying to do a podcast episode. We'd love it if Zach could come on it and talk with us about CNC and carving. And Zach just replied directly and just said, yeah, I'd love to do it let's set up an interview. So I think it speaks volumes to the fact that you don't have to be some, you know, 50,000 follower plus account to have somebody respond to you and have somebody from a major company talk to you. I think you just have to try. And, you know, sometimes you'll get no's. And honestly, probably 75% of the time, if the company is huge, you're going to get a no. But the fact that he was willing to talk with us, even though we're both sitting at less than 2,000 followers, was just amazing. That he directly responded and said, yeah, I'd love to do it. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, like I said, he's he's like the top tier of being a maker. He's He still understands what it's like to be that guy running, you know, running things out of their basement or out of their garage or out of the, you know, the smallest closet in the world. And he, you know, he runs a huge company. He he's the CEO of Inventables, but he can still talk to us, the common man or common woman, basically the common maker. So that to me speaks volumes about the company, about the man behind it, and um, it actually makes me really want to have an X Carve just because I know he's putting out the best quality product he can. Yeah, and in the past, I've I've visited the forum that he talked about. And I've put generic questions on there that weren't necessarily X-Carve related, but just, you know, CNC period. And even got answers to those. So the community and the tribe that they've built behind the machine itself is kind of living on its own. It's a whole community of people that are supporting each other, which is amazing to me. It's not a competitive nature that you get with some groups of people. 
and it's fully supporting each other. And I mean, you're going to get the, the one or two people that don't necessarily do that. But by and large, that's always the impression that I've gotten from that forum. And, you know, that kind of leads me into my next thing where he, you know, he mentioned, you know, giving all of the employees of what, $1,200, I think. Yeah. $1,200 to go out and make. You know, and it didn't even have to be with their stuff. Yeah. It, it's basically, we want you to keep your, your, keep your brain busy because you're going to come up with these crazy ideas and possibly move this company, you know, from, from point X to point, you know, 4,000 X because he's really supporting the product and the people that, that he's in charge of. And, you know, once again, it goes back to that tribe mentality. He's making the Inventables tribe huge. He's making it a, 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 a monster of a tribe, and it's going to, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's going to succeed for a very, very long time. And I've never worked anywhere or heard of anywhere else that will not only give you money to do things with, which, I mean, there's companies that do that. Yeah, yeah. But I've never heard of one saying, go spend it at a competitor. That was a first for me. And, and you know, there's there's certain places that do R&D, you know, that they're they're potentially going to do that because they yeah, want to see makes what sense. makes their, you know, they see, you know, they want to see what their competitors possibly doing better than they are, but not to do it company-wide. Exactly. That's, that's Usually crazy. that's a small subset. That. Yeah. yeah. R, 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 he's basically turning the Inventables tribe into a huge R&D, and that's wonderful. I mean... I don't. I don't know. I mean, how does one get a job with Inventables? I mean, do I do I need to like do I need to like name drop? I think you have to move. <laughs> I probably do, unfortunately, unfortunately. But I mean, they could maybe need a health and safety guy. So maybe, maybe you never know. You never know. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna take some links that Zach had mentioned during the interview, and we're going to put them in the show notes. So things like getting to the Easel software, so you can try it out for yourself. Uh, as well as the classes he had talked about and the map of the different locations that are schools and libraries and things of that nature that have X carves in them, that you can go check them out and try to get in touch with them and be able to use the machines firsthand without that initial upfront investment. And I think that's that opens a lot of doors for a lot of us that want to get into CNC or are interested in CNC but don't have, you know, the fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars it takes to to buy a machine, and this I think is a great way for people to kind of dip their toe and find out if they they really want to do it. And there's not many other places other than maker spaces that you really have that opportunity. But the fact that there's schools and libraries in the system as well just expands that network of possibilities. Yeah, I mean, that in our first quasi-interview, I guess, that we, we attempted to have with Zach, and we had some, some technical issues, me and Zach actually did discuss that. I mean, earlier that week, I had been in a middle school where there was a full-size X car sitting in the corner, and they used it for all manner of things. And then I didn't, I didn't notice it walking into the school, but walking out, all the uh, the plaques and the signs in the school and the hallways leading up to and leading away from that particular shop were all done on the X-Carve because I could, 
I could see the toolpath. It was it wasn't yeah. you know it was not wasn't hand carved and it wasn't sent out to some you know some local engraver. Those kids made those signs for their teachers, and that to me is is pretty amazing because these are this this wasn't high school age kids. These are 10, 11, 12 year olds. These are I think middle schoolers, and I I think 10, 11, 12. I can't remember how old I was in middle school. It's been too long. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a touch. I think one thing we wanna we wanna stress here is you know whether you're looking at an X carve or even CNC at all, or you know a different company, whatever it may be. We'd at least encourage you know checking out what's out there for free that you can try out, and the fact that you can go download Easel and just try it and see what it's like. Uh, regardless of what you end up with or which direction you go, I think is a, a great step into into the CNC world where you can just try it and there's not really a downside to doing so. Oh yeah, and that's that's one of the, you know, it goes back to our fear episodes and some of our previous episodes, you know, try before you buy because those upfront costs can definitely be, you know, can definitely be a killer, can definitely negate you even starting, so... Having you know free software like Easel will definitely help. It'll definitely at least get you in the mindset to think about things. It's it's your uh, it's your R and D before you ever put your hands on anything. Exactly. And what we're gonna do in the future is we're gonna have an episode that's dedicated specifically to starting CNC. So this was kind of an episode given a little bit of background on Inventables itself and Zach but as well as what resources are out there so you can try things before you ever have to buy it and get some advice. So in a future episode, we're going to go more of a deep dive into CNC, the, you know, how you get started, maybe the, the few bits that you'd want to get starting out, that kind of thing, maybe some first project you'd want to try. So look for that in a future episode as well. Oh, yeah, we're definitely we're definitely got that on the list. It's not a if we do it, it's a when we do it. And we've already got a few guests in mind. I mean, one guy you and I discussed earlier, what I mean, he is this a full-time job or is this you know, a very large side gig? It is a very large side gig. So large that he has two machines? Exactly. So I mean, he's definitely he's definitely killing it in the CNC making game. He definitely is. So hopefully we can get him on and we can get him rolling. If not, we'll find the perfect you know we'll find the perfect person to fit. And you know what? If not, you tell us if you think you're the perfect person, and we'll be happy to put you on the air. We're always looking for help. Exactly. Once again, let's make this Maker Vision podcast, Maker Vision Tribe, work together. And once again, we want to thank Zach Kaplan and Inventables for coming on the podcast. And taking time out of their work day to do so. Yes, Zach and, is a, Zach's an incredible person, and, and we can't thank him enough. So, until the next episode, Stephen, enjoy the rest of your night. Take it easy. I'll try. Thank you for listening to our show. Be sure to check out MakerVisionPodcast.com. We'll post valuable resources, tips, and info about anything we've talked into, talked about in today's shows or past shows. And all these things are to help your maker vision become a maker reality. 
If you have any questions or suggestions or any comments about what you heard today or once again in previous episodes, feel free to drop us a line at makervisionpodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at makervisionpodcast, or through mine and Trevor's personal Instagram accounts, and that is Old South Woodcraft or Maker Experiment. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review and uh, and just some really nice words to, to let us know how good we're doing. Or if you didn't like it, let us know what you didn't like about it. Either way, we're happy to hear from you. And you can go and do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Once again, thank you for joining us on our podcast, and we really look forward to hearing, hearing from you next week.